Welcome to Art for All, sponsored by Sketchbook School. As a thank you for joining us, I'd like to give you a free ebook and our monthly newsletter full of tips, recommendations, and other cool stuff. Just head over to sketchbookschool.com to claim your freebies and to learn more about our classes and workshops and our membership program. We believe that art is for everyone, and I hope our podcast inspires you to create and explore your own artistic journey. Thanks for listening. On with the show. Welcome to Art for All, the Sketchbook School podcast. I'm Danny Gregory, the founder of Sketchbook School. I'm also a writer and an artist and various other things. But, but most of all, as far as today goes, I am a person who loves having deep conversations about what it is to be creative, what are the challenges that we face, and um, what are some of the obstacles we have to overcome, and also where can we take our creativity to make ourselves happier, to make the world maybe a better place. Today, my guest is Michelle Meeker, and Michelle is an accomplished creative person. She has been working in the animation business for many years. She's worked on movies like Shrek, and uh, she worked for Pixar. She's just uh, an all-around great creative person, storyteller, character developer, And uh, she draws really well, too. And what we're going to talk about today is uh, a subject that she came to me with about um, more than a year ago to talk about what is it, how do you transition or how do you incorporate creativity, personal creativity into your life if you're a professional creative person? I think that this is something that a lot of people struggle with. I know I certainly did, but if you're a designer, an architect, Uh, you're in advertising, you're um, a journalist, you're somebody who gets paid for your creative abilities, your creative output. But within that world of professional creativity, there are also restrictions and rules and guidelines and forms of behavior and relationships that are pretty different than the ones that you might require when you're working on your own, on your own art on expressing who you are as a person, telling your own stories. So how do you deal with that baggage, uh, but also make the most of those tools and abilities that you have developed over years of being creative to get back to making your own stuff? And that's something that Michelle and I have been talking with about for a long time. And um, we've also developed a project which she's been working on to help her make that transition. And she's going to talk about that in today's conversation. I'm sure she will. And she'll also be telling us some stories from, from her years as a, as a professional storyteller uh, in the animation business. So here is Michelle Meeker. <laughs> um, so I want to start by... I want to just kind of go through this process of this project that we've been working on. You've been working on, mm-hmm. I've been watching you do. Um, and I want to start by talking about your, what your job has been, like what, what your, tell, talk a bit about your, your career. You so my so, career. Okay. Yeah. Your career. So my career, my background is in animation. I worked in animation for several years and the, um, recently I have been doing teaching animation and, Along with teaching, I kind of was neglectful of my personal projects, and I've slowly started to get into them, but I just 
still was not feeling really attached to stuff and trying to figure out, I didn't want to go back into animation full production because I've done that, been there. It's very stressful. I love the projects that I worked on. I was able to work on some really big projects, but I wanted something different for my life. And I had the space along with my teaching schedule to figure out what that is. And it's not always easy to figure out what that chapter two is creatively that'll drive you. And I got a little bit interested in graphic novels, comics, and I just kind of, because up until then I had been doing some life drawing and figuring out drawing in that way. And I basically just planted the seed with you and was like, yeah, I'm kind of interested in that. And you're like, oh, why don't you do a diary comic? And I was like, okay. And it was kind of like the person poking you because I I say, oh, that'd be fun to work on. Or a lot of people say that, oh, that'd be fun. And you never do it. And so I just gave my permission, myself permission to do it really badly. (laughs) You know, like to like whatever drawing and my first few comics were pretty rough. And that was okay. You know, I wasn't showing anyone and I just kept going, just saying, okay, they're going to lead to something. But that's kind of how we've gotten up into this moment. Yes. Good. That's so we're done, basically. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, this will be our shortest episode ever, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's rewind. Let's rewind a bit and talk about what, like, tell me more about your, what you were doing in animation um, specifically. And, and so I can understand like that process better, I think of, you know, you yeah. mean like what I was doing creatively, like what yeah. I was being, like, what was your job? Do. Like in more yeah. detail, what was your job? And also, um, how were you feeling about it? Um, my job, I was an animator. I was a full animator. I, um, I went to school for that and I ended it's, it's really interesting because in school I was always more interested in storyboarding or storytelling side of it. And I, I only really learned to do animation or I'm not saying learn because we were all learning to do it, but focused on it enough that I had the skill um, was so that I never had to rely on somebody else to do my animation. And, you know, if I ever did my own project and then that led me to jobs because in the animation field, um, there's usually more animators that are needed on a project. If you ever look at a project's list, animators is one of the biggest slots to be filled. So there were lots of jobs to do that. And I got in, I transferred from 2D. I was trained 2D traditionally. And then I got into Pixar um, out of school and they trained me into 3D. And then I kind of was in this 3D feature world, eventually went over to some game stuff to some indie pieces. I'm right now um, actually supervising on a short about ALS, but it's an animation. It's acting. The, the part of animation that I actually loved about it is the acting and the ideas and the storytelling within it. And, and I noticed when I was working on some really big projects and I loved them, you know, it, it at the end of the day, sometimes... The first time is really amazing when you get to see your name on the big screen. And, you know, it's like especially a kid coming from small town Ohio. And it's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Right. And then it just it just as it went on, it was just okay. (laughs) You know, it just wasn't the, the spark that it once was. And and it's really stressful. 
you know, when you're on full production, it's really long hours and your life is just going from production to production. And some productions feed you more and some productions feed you less. And as I said, I loved all the opportunities, but I was just finding myself a little less excited. And sometimes I, I had an opportunity to work in New Zealand, which was amazing. And the production was amazing. But one of my favorite parts about it was the travel, you know, the experience of living overseas. It wasn't necessarily the work. And so it was just little things inside of me that was like, I felt like part of me wasn't getting used. And I, I, you start to see when you're in these big productions, you're kind of a little cog, you know, in this really big wheel. That's the part I want to understand better because when you're working on picking like an animated feature in a big studio, Mm-hmm. you, it's not your story, right? No. And you, and no. a lot of times animators will have like a part of a character, right? Or an aspect mm-hmm. of a certain thing. Well, I mean, it depends. It depends on the studio. It also depends on the director, your supervising animator, also how much they trust you with your idea. You know, the more experience and the more you have a relationship with your, just like any field, the more with your supervisor or anything, they're going to trust you to do more. And there are shots that I would feel very proud of that I would get a small acting moment. Like you do get to the thing that I really love about animation is when I create a performance, because there's a lot of people that aren't inside animation, especially with CG. They think the computer does it all. It's motion captured, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, on a traditionally, especially a traditionally animated feature, you do use reference and you do get influenced by the character, you know, the actor, you know, but you many times get to decide those choices. So it's like me getting to be an actor in this other body. And so it's kind of exciting because I would have friends sometimes that would see a shot and they'd be like, yes, that was you. I could see, you know, and it's kind of magical, even when you're in school, when you get to the stage that you can start to see your friends inside the shot in the acting you know like like an actor and you know just like actors animators like different kinds of shots for different reasons i always like the quieter shots the more introspective shots i was never i i did plenty of action shots as i said i worked in games i did physicality shots but they didn't excite me as much because what drew me to animation was connecting with the character like what's a quiet? What's an example of a quiet shot that I would know from, like a say, a Pixar um, movie? If you've seen, if you've seen the original Shrek, okay, yeah, it's uh, been a while. A shot but yeah. where Princess Fiona reveals her big secret to Donkey. She basically says she's looking over a barrel. I'm trying to remember the line now, but she says basically that this is who I am. You know, this is my. Um, you know, I'm really an ogre. You know, this other this other thing is not me, but I'm really an ogre. And I got to do those shots right there where she basically reveals a big secret. And I requested those shots and I was so thrilled when they gave them to me because I really identified with that moment, you know, and it was just I got to do some. It was the first shot I remember that I did that I really got to do all that layering. And I've always been challenged by my draftsmanship skills. Like I work on them and I have some, but I'm, I would not, I've never considered myself a natural draftsman. Like I went to school with people that could just draw anything. 
you know, and that was just something that that was their strength they brought to the table. And I never had that. And so what CG animation allowed me to do was to do stuff I would never be able to draw, you know, and that's what CG animation, you can do such minute, delicate stuff. And it also made me fall in love with doing hand animation, which is a really, um, it's, it's a, it's, it's a piece that sounds a little geeky, but I love it, you know, because hands are so expressive. And I think you can really see the level of an animation if you watch how detailed they got their hands. Because many times those, at least for me, that's a lot of times the last thing the animator gets to or a less experienced animator either doesn't do that or, you know, on a, bud, a production that just doesn't have the time, they they don't put in the details. And so I loved, you know, it was a, all, all of that came together in that shot. I just remember it was a little magical because it surprised me that I was able to do this quiet stuff and really identifying and getting in the ideas and doing the compromises with the director when I present something and they'd be like, well, how about this? And then I'd come back with this, you know, and then it comes together in the shot. And that's just, a, that's just, that was the first one that I was like, I can do really quiet animation. And I love doing those several because you're doing several passes and sometimes people say animation is like watching paint dry like you are when you're in production on a feature at least now television and games you have a much higher um amount of animation you have to get done and that's because of the budget but like on a feature it could be anywhere from five to ten seconds for a week's work you know, and that's generally many times was like a 50 hour week. You're looking at the same five seconds for a week. And and it's like people that aren't in animation, like it just it just sounds so tedious. And at times it is. But when you're inside the shot and you know what details, it's like putting on glazes of paint, you know, and it's like you don't really see them all until they're all done. And then you feel that difference. There's just a difference. It's interesting because I mean that, I've been that kind I've been of invo- explain it. Yeah, I mean I've been involved with with filmmaking, and you know certainly with film you like you'll take time to set up a shot, and you know there's a lot, there's details that you'll think about, but with animation you're actually making it out of nothing, right? And you're making people. Hey, there's my tea. Thank you. You're um, <laughs> you're making. Um, the people you're making, the environment you're making, the every I, aspect I, and the light and everything else. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're, I mean, yes and no. Like as an animator, yes and no, I'm making out nothing, meaning I'm getting a storyboard, you know, like here's the section of the script, you know, the voices are probably recorded if they're already there. Um, you have some storyboards, you discuss it with the director, like, what are you thinking about this? You know, what, and, and it's like having a discussion, like a live action actor, you know, right. it's like, what is the subtext? Like we are trained to take subtext, to talk about this character. Where is this character in this moment? You know, so we're having those same discussions, especially for a scene that has a lot of layers. So I would say it's not out of nothing. I'm having stuff to bounce off of. You know, and there might be poses that have already done in other scenes that, you know what I'm saying? You pull in or you're like, oh, I like that. And you, you know, so it's, it's, 
yes, things are all being created, but you're not creating in a vacuum, especially when you're on a big production. And the lighting then, the lighting just adds a whole other thing on top of it. And when you say creating out of nothing, what's really cool is that each pass just kind of makes it even better. You know, lighting really makes it feel real. But when we're animating it, we don't look at it with lighting because you want to see it raw. If it's amazing raw, the lighting's just going to amp up the whole thing. So everybody's working off of everyone else. You know, I would say the the one, the only one that's truly creating out of nothing would be the script person. You know, the one that has that first pass at the scene and then the next pass gets hit off of that. So yes and no, it's creating out of nothing, <laughs> you know, because I still have to put all the poses in, but I think it really is that you ha- you pay attention to all these other pieces because they have to fit together, especially when you're doing, you, you're not the only one doing a character. So, you know, like say, we'll go back to something like Shrek, you know, there was a piece of me that enjoyed doing Shrek because my sarcastic, you know, side I could get to play with, you know, and then my different side came out with Fiona, but they were both parts of me that I was able to play with, but I'm not the only one that's bringing them. So especially when you're doing testing model, you'll have a lot of different ideas coming in. The director will say like, that's the character, that's the character, not so much. And something that I know CG, a lot of people don't realize is a character can be off model, which sounds really weird because you're not drawing it. Everybody's using the same model, but how you pose it, you can look at that. It's kind of like um, if you ever see a photo of a friend, And you look at it and you're like, what was up with you? That doesn't look like you. But you know, physically they didn't change. That's how much a character can change in CG that people don't understand. Like it's how it's posed. It's how the facial expression is. It's just like a human being. There are certain traits that a character or your friend would do and certain traits that they don't. I think what's interesting to me about it and thinking about about drawing and thinking about art on the larger plane is so much of it is about this micro noticing micro noticing such teeny tiny things like my wife and i were talking about um watching something with uh i forget who the actor was but we were talking about his micro expressions and how mm-hmm. like there were just so many little tiny things that would happen in his face so small the registrations and you think that's you know, that's compared to an actor who's sort of being broad. And, you know, I've noticed that with really great animation that you see all these little things going on, but the difference is that the actor could kind of internalize that and feel those emotions. And then his body might mm-hmm. provide those little tiny things. But when it comes to animation, like you need to, f- to draw or render each of those little tiny things that make up that decision. But, that, no? but that's where the reference, that's where the reference comes in. Like we shoot video of ourselves. Like (laughs) I have, it was funny one time when I left the studio, I had a friend who actually ended up getting my old computer and he was like, Oh, I found your reference. And I was like, Oh crap. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because it is a little bit embarrassing. I am not a professional actor. Most animators, I go into it. So I don't have to go on stage. Um, but we do do those things. We shoot close-ups. We shoot stuff to see what is our body doing. Because what's magical about that is to be able to see 
when you do your reference, you're doing it several times. You're basically, you have a line on loop and you just keep doing it. It's usually the later performances when you relax into that line that you do something that you're like, that's it. That's the performance I like because all of a sudden your hand does an extra gesture because you're in that moment. You're, um, so it is like an actor, you know, and then we just get to go and watch the performance and pick in time. And, and that's, what's so amazing about animation is that (laughs) you get to be the most, you know, anal person for a performance because you are manipulating it down to the frame. So even if the actual video, you don't hit the blink at the exact time, you just slide it, you know, you, you put it in there, but the feeling of it, I know when I've done, and I've talked to other animators about this, just like any artist, when you're in a sad scene, you know, that maybe, um, a sequence or something is going to take you sometimes a month to get through. Like it, it just is a, they give you a big chunk of shots. And if it's really sad or something, it can kind of affect you a little bit because you have to get in that space, just like an actor when you're working on it. I'm not saying the entire time it's an emotional right. thing, you're but in, in order you're living in character, you're yeah. in character. And when you're watching it, like you work on it, you work on it, you work on it, and then you'll shoot it and you'll see if, it's reading the way you want it to read and you'll go, Oh, it doesn't feel, you know, so you have to kind of keep stepping in and out and being the viewer and going, does that make me feel the way I want to feel when I'm watching it? And so there is emotions that that there are emotions that come into um, how the shot is performed. And that's why I'm saying like a lot of times, and also there's, it depends on the model, you know, how detailed, you know, cause even a simple model, there is still skill in how you show it. I, I recently saw an animated film that had slightly caricatured characters, but it got into a really deep subject. And it was just, they had so little on the face but yet I still felt for this character in this right. really serious moment. And again, I had a teacher one time talk about how if you're talking about the amount of frames in your shot, you're talking about the wrong thing because animation is about the ideas. Do your ideas work? Does your acting work? All these other things that I, I think people get more fascinated with the frames because <laughs> that's kind of the weirdo part <laughs> that has to come into it. But at the end of the day, I think people watch stuff because of how it makes them feel is the idea being sold. Just like any other piece of art, a beautiful oil painting is just a beautiful oil painting if you don't care when you look at it. All right. Yeah. So so I want to transition to talking about um, because I'm sort of seeing some, I mean, I understand like the considerations that you'd have to make in doing your job. It's working at a Mm -hmm. kind of a snail's pace. With this enormous <laughs> attention to detail, I mean, mm-hmm. it, time is completely compressed so that five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, it takes months to live through. So in, in some ways you're living that way, time being so incremental. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and, and a lot of, an, an enormous amount of pressure around that because you have some creative latitude, it sounds like. You have creative latitude to create your mm-hmm. character and to yeah. kind of come up with your version of what this moment would be. But you're still working within all kinds of technical constraints, but also, you know, you're just 
you know, you're just looking after the baby for one day. And in the director's, so it really is the director's, director's vision. vision. The director is what you would say is the troll at the bridge that they get to say you go on or not. You, right. know, you get the shot finaled or not. So it ultimately is that vision that you are working with into support. Right. So, so, so um, when it came to doing your own work, so the transition that you were going through is you were going to, you started doing life drawing and life drawing in some ways is still related to that experience of what you were doing for your job. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's in a sense of it's still well, studying figures I, I mean, and took, all this. Yeah. We took life drawing in school. It was very important, especially because I was being trained to be a 2d animator. We took life drawing. It's, it's a really interesting thing because I found out, which I didn't realize at the time, how animators are taught life drawing is slightly different than how fine artists are taught life drawing, meaning animators, we were definitely taught more construction, more thinking about because it was kind of training you in how to be able to draw and move a character in three dimensions on a 2D page. And so once, you know, and when you're in school, you're doing it for your portfolio. Because at the time, they wanted to see a traditional portfolio, you know, with your life drawing to show it, it kind of would show how good are your drawing skills. And, you know, I got interested, which, I, again, I was never real strong at it in school. And a little, it was a little bit painful. Like, I, I luckily had some teachers that I went back for graduate school and they opened up that like, oh, you mean I can draw this way? Like it's not just one way. And we also had luckily a fashion illustration teacher that kind of warped the figure a little bit more, which got me interested in that. And so after not having done that kind of drawing for a long time, I fell into it and I loved it. I took just a city college course and it was amazing because all of a sudden I was doing it for me. You know, there's a big difference from the pressure to do it for portfolio's sake when you do have to have a certain level of judgment because you are figuring out, is this good enough to get me employed and just going, nobody cares. (laughs) Nobody cares if this isn't good. And also I started doing it because I was a little bit, um, how can I say it? Free falling in life a little bit, you know, like trying to figure out there were some things happening. And I was just like, okay, let's see if art can just ground me you know, just get my creativity back. And I started doing a combination of, you know, in person, this is, this is in the before days, obviously in person drawing. And then I would bring those drawings into my iPad and like almost many nights I would curl up in my bed with my iPad and just color them, you know, and kind of have this freedom of play that I hadn't allowed myself. And it was, it it really was lovely. You know, it brought in and my friends who knew me were kind of surprised that I was getting into life drawing because, as I said, I struggled so much in school that it just wasn't my thing. And it surprised me a little bit, too. But it helped me to just start to put my ideas out there, you know, also get used to, oh, I'll put it on Instagram. Not many people care. You know, it's like just, again, showing my work, you know, but at a personal level. But I'm interested in the process and how it was making you feel, because it feels like in a work situation, again, you are constrained in the way that we talked about some creative freedom, Mm -hmm. um, but still constrained. And then when you're doing life drawing, you know, there's still, there's still constraints around. There's a certain, Mm -hmm. um, obviously you're constrained by the, 
by your subject to some extent, by the mm-hmm. time that you can go and those kinds of things. But also I think a sense of like, what is this for? Right. Cause a lot of times life drawing is, you've had the feeling like it's supposed to be for yeah. something either to develop your skills, drawing people, or it's yeah. preparatory work for something else. But life drawing yeah. in itself is rarely like the whole point. It always felt like it's. Well, but, but what's interesting about that is I apologize. That is my cuckoo clock there. Um, <laughs> um, so it's interesting because I think for me, life drawing did become just doing it for the sake of drawing. And I, even when I was in school, the one thing I did like about life drawing is when I would connect with a model, kind of like how I would connect with a character. And my best drawings were the ones, not the models that were necessarily the most beautiful, the most perfect mannequin kind of typical model model. But I loved models. I had some personality, something different. And I could feel a connection when I looked at them and then I could get it on the paper. And that's what brought me the joy was when it wasn't so much like, oh, I drew it exactly academically that looks exactly like them. But I knew when I would get the feeling of their eyes or something where if somebody looked at it, you'd be like, oh, yeah, this is this model. Like I can look back and go, definitely, this is this model. And it's also competing with yourself. It's within the constraints, I think, of my own drawing ability, you know, that that you really are digital. I was comfortable in. (laughs) I knew how to do it again. And it's like there is something about raw draftsmanship. You can't fake it. It's there or it's not. So you're pushing in many ways. Yeah. So you're pushing yourself to into a place of some amount of discomfort, but I think what I'm still interested with, with a piece of joy, with a piece of joy, right. though, I want to yeah, really, yeah. you know, because there, every time you sit down to do a drawing, there'd be like, Oh crap, is this one going to be okay? And some, and, and, and it really is like just the numbers, you know, the more drawings you do, the better chance you have at getting two that you like. Right. Gestures but I think, or otherwise. But when you're creating in a work environment, not just yours, but you know, if in any, anybody who is a creative person working under some commercial, um, you know, consideration, um, you know, it's always kind of other oriented and there's also this sense. And I think it's true of life drawing as well, where, where there is sort of like what the way it should be and how close is what I'm doing to that thing, the way it should be, Yeah. you know, and if you're the kind of person like I am, I think you are too, that is self-critical, um, and to the point where you, can't necessarily get satisfaction out of sometimes out of exploration or sometimes out of experimentation and certainly not out of failure, like the sense that, you know, failure is an, is an essential part of the process, but it's so difficult to do if you, uh, if you are super judgmental with yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, do you think that life drawing still has that in a way, because it's like, Oh, that leg doesn't look right. Or, Oh, I didn't get the well, angle there. there. So there's a, there's a yes, sense of there, there yes, is a there right is way of doing like, it. And I didn't do it right. Yeah, I mean, what I think I'm always fighting, and this I think is even comic, anything, it's just me, is fighting that inner critic of, you know, a great day of life drawing is when you just are in the moment and you look at it at the end and you can't say how you did it because you were truly looking and seeing and, 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 being there, you know, and I think that's something that all artists, you know, on a good day, I think we all seek 
that, you know, what they call flow or whatever. And, and there would be days like that with life drawing that something would release in me, even if I was, you know, and it didn't matter because some days I would be in a good mood and I wouldn't get it. I would be thinking too much about like what you said. It's like, oh crap, that hand just is janky or that, you know, the proportions are off, but it is that constant correction because at times when something is going south, taking a deep breath, looking again and correcting in different ways can still make it work out okay. And, and so but but that's a little bit what I'd say life drawing and also like even comics or I'd say any creative thing is like allowing it to be what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Then you can look back. And as I said, like after the whole day of drawing, like say you're drawing for three hours or however many hours, you know, every drawing isn't going to be genius. It just isn't. Well, I mean, it would be an amazing day if everything you're in like, my case is awesome. it is, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's just me, but every drawing, but you know, it's always that numbers game, you know, like we, I would talk about in school, especially for portfolio, button chair, button chair. That's all it is. <laughs> Sit your butt down, do the work. And that's kind of what happened also with the comics or anything. It's like, some of my comics, I think, work a lot better than others, and some are just okay, you know, and some it surprises me that somebody else really likes it, and I thought it was just okay. Um, but the point is, any one day, if you put all your, you know, like, my whole being is for this one drawing, it's going to fail. It just is, right. because the pressure is there. But if you do, you know, if you keep showing up over four weeks, you're going to have several drawings that then you can go, oh, these two are the ones I'm going to keep or these are the ones I'm going to try again. So when we start, so when you started working on this comic diary thing, I I wanted to sort of just go over like what the, what the parameters of the project are. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you basically, I'll describe it. You can correct, correct it. But um, basically what we talked about was like, let's do a diary, do a journal kind of comic, a four panel comic every day. um, And also have on the, as it turned out on the opposite page of the sketchbook, write down 10 ideas about anything, 10 ideas uh, and just give yourself a, um, a, a kind of a, a topic and come up with 10 ideas. So, mm-hmm. so the two things are kind of the same. Uh, they, they were working at the same time. So the, my thought when we first started talking about it was coming up with 10 ideas would kind of open your imagination and let you play and go far afield mm-hmm. with it. And the, 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 the comic would be a way of looking at your day and making mm-hmm. something that was just for you. Originally it was, it was a diary. Mm-hmm. So it was just for you. And initially you were just working in basically like just pencil, right? It was just a mm-hmm. line drawings and um, it's evolved a lot because you've been doing it now for close to a year, right? So you've, mm-hmm. and you've been yeah. doing it literally every day or at least it, seven the, days, yeah, you like, produce seven a week, it seems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. So, so that was my understanding of it. Can, is that, is that more or less the way you see it? That, is it, is that it is pretty much it. I agree that it was like a top 10 list of something. 
you know, and I'd pick a topic and I agree. It was, I, I felt like at times at that time I started, I just felt like some of my weird ideas, the door had not been open for a bit. Like it, it and I used to be able to do that really easily. And I wanted to reopen that door and, you know, again, some of the top lists are lame. Some I think are weird and funny and some are pretty straightforward, but again, it didn't matter because it was just like doing it every day. And a funny thing happened is I mentioned it to another, that top 10 idea with a friend that does a journal and she started doing it and having a really good time. And occasionally she would send her, her top 10 list and say, Hey, I'd love for you to do this one. And then we can compare because there is something that the top 10 list, what's fascinating about it, it's, it's kind of like doing a big dump, meaning you just have to fill 10 slots. And sometimes the topic you're like, oh, this will be really funny. And then you get to number three and you're like, I got nothing. And you start filling it up and it just gets either stranger or lamer. One of the two. Like what's an and example okay. of a topic? What's, what's an example of, of a recent topic that you worked on? Ah, one that comes to the top of my head was like Muppet names, you know, what, what type of Muppet names I'm, I have actually my diaries here. I'm trying to see if there's any good ones, you know, places I want to visit, you know, that's mm -hmm. pretty straightforward. Uh, what I felt bad about not doing today, you know, um, just colors. I like, you know, <laughs> some of them are not very, or reasons my cat is upset with me. You know, and, and some of them go a little weirder, as I said. Like, here's one, the coffee flavors. Brian, who's my husband, doesn't like. He found out that we don't like flavored coffees. And one of the top 10 at the number 10 is just coffee that hates him. And that kind of, you know, like, was, was revealed in the comic. Um, toys on my studio shelf. You know, but it is something that it's just you have to put something down. Right. And again, sometimes they I will say they crack me up and I'll get people talking about them on my Instagram. And sometimes they're just lame and that's OK. You know, I'm not I'm not David Letterman. You know, I'm not doing this to every day crack people up. But as I said, when you have to fill 10 slots, sometimes your creativity just starts reaching for places you didn't know it was going to reach. Yeah, and it's, that's it's an when exercise. it's kind of magic. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's an exercise. It's, a, it's an exercise thing. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to the four, so let's talk about the comic. So, so basically you have, cause you've been using a square, basically a square sketchbook, right? With square, mm -hmm. four squares. Yeah. All it. of so these are like, this is the latest one. And this was the first one. I so think, how many have I you think filled first, now? I am on my fifth sketchbook. So fifth sketchbook um, you filled with comics. This one is about this full right now. This this is my so latest. Full, um, but then these are the ones that I filled. You know, it's interesting because I started, the first one I started was actually a sketchbook that, let me see, where's the first one? So this is the part that's the comics. Up until mm -hmm. here was... So for those of you who are just listening, or, she's just showing us that it's basically a facing page. Oh, yeah. Sketch, the sketch, yeah, that it's about, I'd say it's about 80%. You know, the first sketchbook was this. And the part of the comic was, you know, when I was commuting. And again, this is before times. When I was commuting, 
you know, I, I draw people on the train, you know, so I had a lot of people, you know, sitting and, you know, in classes and stuff like that. And I just wasn't feeling it. It just sat there for a long time after it shut down. And now, I had it and it was square. But now you're doing started. this That's comic. started. The comic is kind of like a is a motivation to do it, right? Because you have a you've a you've made this kind of commitment to yourself that you're going to mm-hmm. do it on a daily basis. But also, um, I mean, I think one of the things that's really different from my perception between what you're doing with with your work and what you're doing with you were doing with life drawing is this is about you. This is your story. Yes. You are the main character. Your cat is another character. There are mm-hmm. various versions of you that are characters. Um, yes. And your husband is a character and so forth. So just talk a bit about that aspect of it. Like what is the, what is the, um, the kind of cast of this whole thing now become, become, and, it, and it was that what you intended? I, you know, I didn't intend it. I, I should at some point look back to see when the first time I broke the literal telling of what was happening that day. Because I had seen other people doing diary comics and there's no one way to do a quote unquote diary comic. You know, it's mine. That was one thing that was really great. I was like, well, it's mine. I'm not getting paid to do this. I can do whatever I want in this. And um, I, I started very literal trying to pick something or like if again, this started last year. So we were just starting to come out of kind of ish the pandemic. Um, this was right around Thanksgiving. Um, you know, just trying to figure out like opening that door, like what idea would I write about that day? Because when I've seen a lot of other comics, either people diary comics, either write about the big things like, Oh, I had breakfast at a cafe and then I went for a walk. And, and there are some beautiful comics that I love that way. But I felt like when I started doing that too much, it didn't feel true to me about the topic. And there were days that there was a little bit more going inside of me. And I love one time we were talking how you, I think it was you that talked about my comic, that it's all about my inner and outer daily life. Because sometimes there was a lot more going on in my inner life than went on in my outer life. You know, I mean, there, were and, a lot of, there were a lot of comics that are just about like taking out the garbage or not getting out of bed. Yeah. Well, yeah. There wasn't whenever a lot my going husband on. goes away. Yeah. Whenever my husband goes away, I have to do the garbage. I hate doing the garbage. I don't know why I hate doing the garbage, but that was a big thing for that day. And, and what's funny for me to look through all these is that it, it did teach me that even stuff that I go a little more metaphorical, because now that I know I'm going to put these on Instagram, um, I have never held one back, but some of them are a little bit more um, cryptic. Then others, I don't necessarily say this crappy thing happened and I am angry or sad or however it's affecting me. I do it in a little bit more of a metaphorical, but I can tell you what happened that day if I look at it. And it, it allowed me to process it, you know, and, and possibly have somebody else see it and go, Oh, I feel that. And I've had, some friends say, oh yeah, that's, that's totally how I feel. And I think it has helped sometimes to be those metaphorical things instead of just completely being 
literally about my day-to-day life. And all the little incidents are based on something like the conversation. This is another thing that I, I really enjoyed recording because I think you were talking about noticing little micro movements. And I think in our day-to-day lives, small moments disappear so quickly, a quality small moment, because we tend to remember the big things, you know, the big like trips or the big, you know, graduations or whatever, you know, an event, what's considered an event. And what this comic has allowed me to do is I'm always kind of listening for the line, the thing that you can't make up that you just had this conversation. And you know, my husband is in a lot of these lines and I do do a little editing just because they have to fit into four panels and I want it to feel like, I mean, that's where my animation training comes in. I try to make it feel like it has a point, you know, so it has a story, but there's a line in there that we actually did have this weird conversation that I just love that it is somewhere recorded and And I think, you know, I think my husband, you know, I try not to make, we both, um, which you've kind of said that because you've had more experience, you've only experienced him in the comic. Um, I definitely think he looks more like him than I look like me. But I've had friends that know him that's like, oh, I can see him saying that. And I'm like, yeah, because he did, you know. And so it is that real... um, you know, I think people can tell that we actually enjoy spending time with each other. But there are times that each of us is a little bit of a jerk to the other person because we've been together for so long. But it's funny in the way right. that each of us is uniquely a jerk to the other person at times. And and the same with friends. My friends have loved it when they've shown up with a conversation that I've had, you know. And, and yeah, it's those little moments that I don't think necessarily matter to outside people all that much. But for me, that's what I love looking back on these diaries. Cause I kept five year diaries, you know, those line a day diaries. Right. I kept it for a good five years. I've never looked back and read what I wrote. Never. Like I filled them and then they just go in a drawer. And these part of it is so fun to just flip through them but it's also just seeing this last year, the ups, the downs, there's, there's been some big life events. There's been mixed feelings. There's been funny things that I really get excited about. A comic that you have not seen yet come through was one that I talked about. One of the ones I kind of went interest, you know, like inside of me and it, It was, um, it was talking about how, when I'm feeling overwhelmed many times, you know, you're like, oh, if I only had yesterday back, right? Like if I had one more day, I would be good. And I'm like, well, let's be real about that. I'd probably have done the same thing that I did, you know, (laughs) still procrastinate. I just have one more day to procrastinate and how you're wishing for that one magical day when, you know, I call it my productivity me, which has not been around very much. She is still on vacation. There's a whole thread of her going on vacation somewhere and has still not returned. So I dream about productivity me coming back in and on a white horse and saving, you know, everyone. Right. And the joke was I was drawing it and 
this is this is a little bit of my weird side. I was drawing it and I can't draw horses. Like horses do take some skill. Like I just don't have the practice. I haven't, you know, I think I could if I actually practice, but just in the amount of time I want to spend on the comic, my horse was horrible. It was a horrible drawing. And so instead of putting the drawing in there, I wrote basically the space is left intentionally blank. Horses are hard to draw. And I didn't want to offend the people that actually could draw horses. So I told this to my husband and he laughed and he's like, oh, I wish you would have photographed it before you erased it because I'm doing it in a traditional book and I erase and change things. So that spawned another whole comic of me four times drawing the derpiest horses I could, you know, and, and there's this joy that... Was that the big event in my life that day? Not necessarily. But when I look back on it in five years, that'll make me happier than saying I did X, 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 you know, to that. That was the part of the day that I decided to record. And that that's the thing that I think for me has been the best thing is that forces me to be aware of those small moments that either crack me up because again, my humor is mine and that bring me joy or just a moment that's like, Oh, that's it. But part of the lesson in it, in I discovered the same thing in keeping diaries and illustrated journals is every day has something. Every day has mm -hmm. a thought an experience, um, you mm -hmm. know, a story there's, and when you force but, but yourself you don't to do wanna, it, but you don't want to put too much weight. You don't want to put too much weight on it. Cause I've heard people say that too. Like, oh, we have to record the best moment. And it's like, it's not about the best moment. It's just- No, it could be a small one, but yeah. the point is that-, that yeah. I, And I think what this exercise does is it forces you to to think in terms of a, a mini story in your day, right? Because that's part of what mm -hmm. you're doing in the fourth in the fourth frames is you have to kind of have some sort of a mini arc. It can't yeah. just be a descriptive thing. It has to kind of have yeah. a punchline or has to come to something and they're not all jokes. I mean, some, some of the ones no. that you've written are very moving and sometimes they're about like noticing beauty and sometimes they're about inner struggles. Can you talk a bit about the whole cast of characters? Cause you have, you have, in addition to real people, you also have multiple versions of yourself that you're having conversations with. And that's kind of a in, really interesting yeah, part of this so, whole thing. So I, I, you know, I started off with me, my cat and, and Brian. And one rule I always made with the cat, the cat doesn't genuinely talk. Like I, I love that he is a cat, you know, like he's just this like kind of clueless. And I put whatever I want on the cat, like opinions about who this cat is. Um, and then I, I can't remember which, I think it was today and tomorrow me. I think that was one of the early ones because we all have that, that we put pressure on tomorrow me. Well, I'll do that tomorrow, you know? And sometimes then that we get to the tomorrow and we're like, well, I'll do that tomorrow. And also the past me, what past me has done affects, you know, I had a comic talking about how past me, you know, didn't do something. And I'm like, we're really screwed now, aren't we? And past me is like, mm, maybe, you know, it's, it's that all, all of myself kind of live in the same space at the same time. And obviously today me becomes tomorrow me and, you know, it's, it's constantly rotating, but it was kind of nice to have those conversations. And then, and they all look like me, 
you know, they're just, I kind of just put an arrow. It's like, okay, this is who's talking right now. And they all look like me. And then I brought in, cause I would kind of joke about a side of me that, you know, I, I would joke with my husband or my friends about, you know, I call slug me. And the first time I drew slug me, Slug me kind of looks like the best description is like a female version of Grimace, you know, with, it has my same hair, but it's just a blob because when I'm in slug me mode, it's not, it's not so much really my weight. It just, you just feel like, bleh. you know, you're just, it's like a slug, you know, you're just there. And, and I'd say that's my um, sad side. That's my low energy side. That's, and, and so slug me shows up. And the regular me's aren't always thrilled about slug me showing up, you know, because this is not the side that you would proudly proclaim is who's showing up today. But I've, I've allowed slug me, slug me is actually one of my favorite characters now because slug me is also really sweet. It's like the sweet side of me that comes out and is kind of kind when something isn't going so good. And also even though slug me holds the sadness of whatever the situation is, she's very positive. Like there was a comic where all the other me's are kind of freaking out and saying like, life's not going okay. And slug me is like, but I caught, I bought cat toys. I'm bringing cat toys to the party. And it's just such a lame thing, but they were all like, Ooh, you know, it, it, it just pulls you out because it is such this little sweet, quiet, Low expectations. Low expectations. And also there was a comic talking about Slug Me, how nobody wanted Slug Me around. You know, they're they're constantly asking, like, when's productivity me gonna show up? You know, when is because she, as I said, there's a storyline that I haven't brought it up and and I kind of just follow where I'm interested in the threads, but productivity me is still off having a vacation. And she actually had sent like a postcard saying, Hey, I hope you're all, you know, like staying active. You know, I'm having a great time out here. And they all look at slug me and slug me's like, don't look at me. That's not my job. You know, it's, it's, it's like they're blaming slug me, which is kind of how I blame myself. You know, that if only productivity me showed up, I could be a better person. I, I could, you know, and, and I, I ended up talking with, you know, friends that also have their slug me and we can identify there's actually another comic where my slug me (laughs) says hello to my friend's slug me. Um, And we kind of just talk about how we're, we're not allowed to exist. Nice. You know, it's like nobody wants us at the party, but it's part of us and it has helped. You know, that's been one of the biggest things for me, having this side character to just come out when you need somebody to give you that hug, you know, when you need yourself to be okay with what's happening. And so in some ways I go between, like you were saying, like I go between because there are all these sides of me that I have, I think, a little kind of quirky, funny side. I have a more introspective side and then I have the inside me side and I kind of watch when I'm doing the comics. I don't want too many that are just too depressing because I don't want to live in that world. You know, I'll be like, Oh, let me pull out one that is a little lighter, 
you know, just because I want to look back on my life and not be like, oh, good God, <laughs> I don't even want to be in this world. So it is that like dance between like all those sides of me. And I have a running list of like ideas or past conversations or stuff. And, and I have loosened some of the rules of daily ish, you know, because sometimes life gets too busy, but I like to keep a buffer. And I, when I say buffer of how much time I have so that they're just written so that I can right. just post them because a couple things that that does is if it is something more emotional, I've had time to separate myself. It really is about those characters going through it, not me, but also I'm not quite as stressed about it. And so I just remind myself constantly, this is mine. I get to change the rules if I want to change the rules and they get to work for me, but I don't want to stop it. And, and so that's another reason why I haven't, um, I haven't gone over to, you know, iPad to make them more professional looking. You know, I, I did a test with one, which will be coming up soon. I'll post. Um, but you know, it just took me longer. And again, it's one of those things that if I'm doing it every day, part of this, just like the derpy horse thing, you know, this isn't about spending three hours. This isn't about, you know, someday maybe I might clean it up and draw them a little bit better. But this is about getting that idea out there just to record it. So let me ask yeah. you, um, speaking of getting it out there. So you, after you've been doing this for a while, uh, we talked about you putting it on Instagram and sharing it. You set up a special Instagram account just for this. Um, mm -hmm. And just talk about a bit about that and how that's changed things, having that out there, um, it, what, you, what you've been thinking about. That. Yeah, it it's interesting because I don't um, – well, this will change now when people see this, but if they search for my name and stuff. But I didn't put my name on it. You know, when I, when I, it's just me, you know, I didn't attach it to my other more, prof you know, like my life drawing or my other, um, Your professional Instagram accounts. accounts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't even consider them professional, but ones that I've attached my name to that people are like, you know, my life drawing, people will see my name and that's what comes up. And this one, I wanted a little bit of accountability you know, cause it does feel good to have people respond to it and, um, to have people say, Oh, I've enjoyed this or to make a joke about one of my characters or like when Ronnie hasn't been in a few, I had somebody respond like, Oh, thank God Ronnie's back. You know, I like Ronnie when he shows up, that's my cat. Um, and so it's nice because it feels like you're not creating in a bubble. And are you, you know, thinking you're, you're, of, are you thinking about that audience when you're making the comments? I try no not just to, for you. To, yeah, I, I mean, yes, it does come into play. And as I said, there's a comic coming up that is very personal. And I've chatted with a friend about this. And again, it's probably not a big deal because I think we many times make it more about person, you know, like something that's really personal to us just sinks so much harder than sometimes when it's actually out there, what somebody that doesn't know what's actually going on fully um, would expect out of it. But, you know, there is a little bit of, I have the right not to show a comic, mm -hmm. you know, that that's my right. Um, but also there is, you know, I've talked with you about this, having the courage of possibly 
you know, as a friend put it, you know, that's real. That's, that's your real feelings about this. And it is, you know, you've always supported my mix of not always having a gag and sometimes having it maybe be a little sad or introspective or, you know, things that are not going well leak in. Um, and it's okay. And I think part of it too is I have only shared or told people about the comic that I felt safe, you know, that knew me. Because I think on some levels it is easier to share with a total stranger. You're never going to have to have a real conversation with them than with a friend that might come and be concerned with what you and, – and you're like, no, I'm okay. This this helped me process. So you see you it know, as it, a window into yourself, right? So therefore it can come back to you as opposed to um, – Another way of looking at it is not the diary part of it, but saying, okay, here's this creative product that I'm putting out there. You might have hesitation about that. You might say, well, you know, I'm a professional animator. I'm this and that. And now suddenly I'm doing these hand-drawn cartoons. How do, do you have, and even if you're showing it to people who don't know you, who don't even know that for all they know, you've yeah. totally made all this stuff up. Um, yeah. From an aesthetic point of view, from a, you know, that aspect of it, how do you feel about, going public with it the way you have? You know, it's my students. I don't mention this generally. There's only a handful of students that after I've taught them that I might share, you know, there was actually one of my favorite comics came from a student situation and, you know, I shared it with him at the end of class. And I said, I hope you find this respectful, you know, cause I just found this to be the best teaching thing that I had to record. And, and he did, he laughed at it and was kind of honored that I took this little moment. And, and I try again, not to ever, if I have a real person there, not be disrespectful um, of that person, you know, right. how I present it. Cause I am presenting it to the world. But the other thing is on some levels, these characters live in this world and I can control this world um, and that's why I was saying like, sometimes the final panel, cause I'll do a little bit of sketching out of the final, you know, like the writing I'll do on the opposite page to kind of think through it before I start drawing it. And sometimes it'll surprise me, you know, as I said, like the derpy horse thing did not come out until I was actually doing it. And, um, it, it's nice to sometimes live in that world rather than my real world. You know, even if it's, even if it's something sad, it's easier to process because it's not fully me. You know, it, it, it is, um, even though those characters are based on me, it is not me. Anybody who's ever written a book or done any autobiographical work, it is and it isn't you. There's always a shaping of the story that's done. And, and it is so funny because there are times I actually like living in the world that they've you know created. And, and I think you can kind of see the personalities of the different characters and that when I just let it be what it wants to be, it's therapeutic because it, it's like talking to this side of myself that I may or may not acknowledge without doing this. You know, like I, I've always called my, you know, the slug me I've always talked about, but I never drew a picture of who this character is. And it was just wonderful. I, it's one of my favorite characters now, you know, 
And she shows up a lot, actually. <laughs> you know. Well, it sounds but, like you've gotten, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it feels like you've gotten a lot out of this year of doing this. You've done three hundred mm-hmm. or so things. You think three hundred comics, three hundred lists of ideas. So that's. 3,000 ideas. I'd say there were some days that I didn't quite do it daily, but I have a big chunk of them. Right. That, that, yeah, more than I thought I was going to have when I started. Right. And I think in the end, the point isn't that you um, turned it into a habit, although that's certainly been part of it. Um, It isn't necessarily the consistency, but it's, it's really the way that you've taken it in so many different directions. And also I feel like the, the things that it's given you, I feel like it's given you mm-hmm. insight into yourself and, you know, it's, um, and into your creative abilities that I think are mm-hmm. kind of different than when you started, when you felt, I think, much more hesitant and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and confined. So, so I think it's been, from my point of view, it seems like it's been a great experience for you. It has like it, it's, I'm hoping to continue it, you know, for as long as, so I don't want to dread it. it does, I don't want it to feel like a job. And even when I'm tired or something, I'm like, oh no, I have to keep doing this. Like there, it, it's an owing to me. It's not so much the audience. It's just, I feel like there's still things that surprise me about it. And like you talked about like the perimeters, you know, like what are the rules, you know, this four panel, maybe someday I'll change that. But right now it, it kind of is nice to have a few rules to just sit down and do it, you know, it and, not, and see where down. it goes. It makes it easier to sit down every day because you know mm-hmm. what's on your plate, you know, and it's not yeah. just like, let me make something. And I think that's a problem that a lot of people get into when they're, when they're making art on, you know, for themselves is what do I do? What, you know, and, and it's what should also I draw? permission I make? to do it badly too, yeah. to really like when you start to just say like, okay, let's see where it is because looking at some of my earlier drawings of even how I portrayed myself, I've evolved. And it's always really surprising when I look back on some of the earlier ones, how much drawing of me has evolved. And I don't think it's evolved, but then you look back and it it has just continuing and the writing. I think the writing has slowly gotten stronger. I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy some of them, but I think they're just feeling a little bit more shaped. And that's all come about because you, as you said, button seat, um, you've shown up, you've done it over and over and over again. And you may not see the change from where you are because a lot of times we, Mm -hmm. it's so difficult to judge ourselves, our work, our progress from this kind of myopic, you know, macro point of view that we have, micro point of view that we have. But then when you step back or somebody else comes in and sees you, you realize what you've accomplished. So that's why it's, that's why the inner critic is such a terrible friend because, because mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't have this, this broader perspective that can be helpful to you. So anyway, congratulations on doing it for as long as you've done it. It's been, it's been fantastic to watch you go along. I can't wait for you to continue doing it. And as a result of this, I think, you know, you're going to invite people to, who are listening to this to come and see some of your comics <laughs> and um, where do they look for them? Uh, where you can find them is on Instagram at totally true events. Totally true events is the name of your, is your, yeah, of, your, of the, of the actual comic because quote unquote, everything is totally true. Totally true. And, um, you know, I think, I think it'll be helpful to people on a, on a range of different ways. Um, on one hand, it's, 
they're just, they're fun. They're, they're interesting. They're funny. They're really cool as a piece of, just a piece of entertainment. They're really great. But I think also the insights that you found out about yourself, I think have universal appeal. There's so many times that I've seen something you've done and I've made, it's made me stop and think about myself and how I think or think about people I know and just have that aha, the recognition, but also the insight that comes of it. And, you know, I think it's also, it's something that anybody can do. It doesn't involve mm-hmm. enormous amounts of art skill necessarily. Um, you're lucky that you have this training and this professional uh, experience in storytelling, but sitting down and doing this every day is going to help. You get better. Cut, you get better at it. Right. And those, those skills, being able to tell a story, being able to design a little tiny square, um, those are all skills that are really useful in lots of different ways. And the fact is, it doesn't take that much time, right? It hasn't taken you a huge also, amount of time to do this. Also on a side note, just allowing yourself to do it the way you do it. Right. Like I see so many graphic novelists or comic creators that I'm like, oh, if mine only looked that much better. It's like, but I'm like, yeah, that's never been my style. That's, you know, and it's like, it is what it is. And just, and, yeah. You know, and great comics are rarely about the drawing. It's really about the storytelling, the insight, the characters, you know, the, the way that the story unfolds and moves all those kinds of things. And that's, again, you could, you could do a really great comic with stick figures and Mm -hmm. you could communicate a huge amount and you could have, you could draw like, you know, like Da Vinci and it's still, it wouldn't necessarily be a good comic, you know, it's, and I think what you've done is you have made yourself vulnerable. And when you talk about yourself and you talk about your experiences, it makes whoever's looking at them feel close to you, makes a connection. It, it does the kinds of things that art is so great at, which is bringing us together, showing us what we all have in common, you know, and, and giving us, giving us hope, giving us um, a sense of, of love and harmony, all those kinds of things that, that we need. And um, mm-hmm. so the drawings kind of do that, but it's really the, the, the spirit behind it well, that I think allows it to happen. Part, part of this is too, just like what you were saying, on some levels, things that I thought was so different about me aren't. Like right. I'm not, and this isn't to put myself down, but I'm not as special as I thought I was in the things that I have, have to go through in life, you know, uh, you know, feelings or, you know, just having, as I said, a friend say, yeah, I have slugged me, you know, and we, freely talk about it, you know, and it's nice, you know, even though I want to be special to find out that you're not special in things that you thought were so bad about yourself. Well, I think you're special. And I think that, uh, (laughs) that your comic is special and, um, we're going to leave it that because I'm right. Thanks. Thanks for talking about it. (laughs) Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michelle as much as I did. And I hope that you'll go and check out her Instagram and uh, I'll be putting the information about it in the show notes he, uh, here on the podcast and as well as on YouTube so that you can go and uh, see some of her comics. They are fantastic. I love them. And uh, they are funny and touching and beautiful and fascinating in so many ways. And um, check it out because I think if you subscribe to or follow her on Instagram, you can see the unfolding story. She posts one almost every day and it's just a great story that is unfolding the story of her life. 
That's what art is in many ways. The essence of art is the story of our lives. And it was great to be able to talk to her about how do we feel comfortable with that? How do we get back to using those tools that we've developed as professionals to tell our own personal stories? And um, it's the kind of conversation that we have here virtually every week. I try to make it every week um, on the Art for All podcast. So thanks very much for joining me. And uh, I'll see you again next time. This is Danny Gregory, and this is the Art for All podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. And remember, visit sketchbookschool.com and claim your free ebook and your monthly newsletter. Our community is always growing, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Art for All.